0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW. for prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Newcastle Natter. My name is Fergus Craig, and I'm joined by Paul Doolan. Hello. And only Paul Doolan. But that's fine, because there is an incredible amount to talk about this week. There's the fact that Paul Doolan traveled the whole length of uh, the nation of England, uh, twice in one day to see a (laughs) nil-nil there's the uh late stoppage time uh winner from uh liverpool in the 98th minute which we all enjoyed thoroughly and uh there's var so much to talk about
2: paul um is there anything you'd like to start with Maybe VAR because I don't think anyone else is talking about it in the this country the, at the minute. This is the thing; it, it's it's football's best kept secret.
1: Someone needs to do an in-depth piece on it because a lot of people haven't heard of it.
2: No, it's uh, VAR or VAR is uh, I don't actually know what it stands for.
1: <laughs> so if you didn't, if if um, have you been video a
2: assistant referee, I do. If I've remembered. Carry on.
1: If you've been hiding under a rock for the last few days, um, what we're referring to is our, our
2: nil-nil against... I forgot who we fucking played. Palace. Palace. Our nil-nil against... They, I mean, they were forgettable, Palace. They did nothing the whole game, from my memory. just been thinking about VAR
1: ever since it happened. Uh, so you were actually at the game. But I was I there. Know, What I want to know is, did you
2: celebrate that goal that was subsequently disallowed full throttle? I celebrated that goal twice. First time full throttle, and then wrongly the second time when I thought VAR had allowed it, which I think quite a few people in the ground did. Oh, sure. misunderstood the decision. But they actually they showed a replay of it on the big screen in the stand as well. So right. even we were all like, that's definitely gonna stand then. So it, it wasn't one of those ones where you're thinking, oh, this could get overturned until they've sent him to the screen. Because that never happened. They never overturn it. Or well, they did one did this weekend.
1: As if, yeah. to make point.
2: I went full throttle. I don't buy this thing if we don't celebrate goals properly anymore because of VAR. Because when the ball goes in, you just, you just go for it.
1: Well, maybe it's just me then, because I, I, as I'm celebrating every goal these days, I have the thought in my head: Is this real? Is this real? Is this real? Is this, real? Is it, this is real. This is real. So it's. It's not the way I used to celebrate goals. It's and so I keep talking about this and maybe I'm in a a, a tiny minority of people who are experiencing it like this. But for me, I am definitely not celebrating goals, even real goals, with the same joy that I did pre-Var.
2: What about the the EZAC second one against Liverpool that was disallowed?
1: Yeah, there was a is that is this real feeling for me?
2: Yeah. Uh. I don't get that. That's that's ruined football for you.
1: How's yeah. that working out? Even the goals that are actual, real goals. I have a. Is this real?
2: Wow. It's
1: it's it's really ruined a lot for me. But yeah, I'm I'm glad that most people are not in that boat.
2: Uh, yeah, I tend to go with. It, it's, it's kind of stupid not to be in that boat. <laughs> I kind of go with innocent until proven guilty. Right. Whereas you don't which is also your view with the justice system where you, no smoke without fire and
1: then after your full throttle celebration and your subsequent celebration once you knew that it hadn't been a goal did the joy that you had the joy that you had gotten from that goal that wasn't a goal is that completely erased from your life would you rather that hadn't have happened? Or would, no, because I think I
2: still got still got to celebrate a goal. I think it was it was a I wouldn't call it a roller coaster of emotions. The nil nil draw against Crystal Palace, I don't think, can ever be called a roller coaster of emotions. It was a teacups ride of emotions. If
1: you were like, it's like if you were in a marriage and it turned out the marriage, but you were truly in love, but it turned out it was all just a lie. This If... If Would it have been worth it? So let's just talk about the incident itself. I mean, there isn't a single person who doesn't now agree on, on um, what the uh, decision should have been.
2: Well, no, Patrick Vieira thought it was a foul, but he is the only person on earth of that opinion.
1: I don't understand why managers feel that they have to lie in those
2: situations and circumstances, it's like maybe they believe it. I think there'll be Palace fans who still think that it was the right decision, and if it had gone the other way, there'd be Newcastle fans who would have been going, "Well, it's still a foul."
1: Just in case you didn't see the game or are listening to this for some reason sometime in the future, the incident was uh, it was it was a very messy goal. Uh, it was, a, it was from a free kick, wasn't it, rather than a corner? Uh, I'm not
2: sure. I thought it was a corner, but I think you know. It was from right. a
1: set piece, and uh, Willock got clattered into the Palace keeper, but he clattered into the Palace keeper because he was pushed by the player who the ball ultimately came off of, the Palace defender, scored an own goal, having pushed Willock into his own keeper
2: the referee
1: and Lee Mason decided that what had actually happened was that uh, Willock had fouled the goalkeeper. What gets me is that... Who was the ref on the day? I can't remember.
2: I don't know why you're asking me. I know, it doesn't matter. This is where the lack of Dave really (laughs) shines (laughs) through. I know, but it doesn't matter, does it? No.
1: The ref on the day was asked to go and look at the screen, which we now know means 99% of the time that the decision is going to be overturned. But he looked at the screen for a long time. Yeah, Everyone's saying that he was looking at, I mean, you won't have been aware of this in the stadium, but everyone's saying that he wasn't looking at the right angle. And he certainly wasn't looking at the angle that demonstrates best that it was pushed. Mm. But the angle he was looking at, still showed Willet getting pushed. And he stood there watching it for ages. So it's a case of, what are you looking for here? Like, are you trying to, are, are you wondering, well, if they've sent me, is my mind playing tricks on me? Can I not believe what I'm seeing? Like, why? How can you yeah. look at a screen again and again and see something?
2: It's got to be a weird situation. Because I imagine if you took either of us, stuck us in the middle of a 52000 seat stadium and basically said, watch this short clip. There's going to be a test on it and everyone's going to be it. It's got to be a really odd experience. I'm not excusing it. There's so many ways he could have got it wrong. Like I think even giving a penalty would have been the wrong decision. It was clearly let the goal stand over what happened. Yeah, well, some it, people are saying that, like
1: Dermot Gallagher was saying that on Sky Sports News today, that um, the right decision would have been a penalty. I was like, well, no, clearly not. Because clearly it's advantage, and half a second later, the ball's going in the net, so clearly yeah. the goal's down. But um, but my, I think that the goal was, it looked very messy.
2: Yeah. I think as and, the keeper was down as well, there's always that instinct to disallow it, but that Which would be understandable if the ref hadn't given it and then Var had intervened and told him to look at it and then he had given it. But for it to happen, for him to get the decision right first time, for someone to then watch the replays of that from all the angles and say, even though you clearly got the decision right, because that's all your eyes can tell you, we think you should look at this again. And for him to then look at it again and see he's made the right decision and overrule himself.
1: I think uh, yeah. I think he's disallowed it on vibes. It's a vibes-based yeah. decision. It just looked it looked very messy, the whole goal. And it's just like, well, something's not right about that.
2: But again, That's that would be fun. fine if he wasn't then watching several slow motion <laughs> replays of it. You don't get vibes in slow-mo. I know. It's
1: it's an amazing thing. But we might as well just have the chat about var going forward or refereeing going forward. I have some strong opinions on this but you go first.
2: I think yeah there's been a lot of decisions this weekend that make that case for VAR. But I don't think I don't think any of those decisions actually act as a nail in the coffin for VAR. I think all they show is you need people manning it who understand the laws of the game and have competence. We still more decisions are still right now because of VAR than they were before VAR. I think we forget the levels of outrage there were before and the people clamoring for something like it to come in. But when what what we've got at the minute is it's still getting more things right than it gets wrong. But the things it gets wrong are so obviously wrong that it undermines the integrity of the system. And what you lose in terms of the atmosphere or celebrating a goal Compared to what you gain in sort of six percent more decisions being right, you start to wonder whether that trade-off is worth it. But I think if you look back to our game, our game against Man City, say, even though that challenge on share in the box from John Stones should have been a penalty wasn't given, VAR, I thought had quite a good game there. Like the Almiron goal stood. We'd have been outraged if that hadn't happened. But you you take less away emotionally from the ones that gets right to the ones that gets wrong. So you, you're you just left with a taste that because the errors are so glaring and so obvious, you just think the whole system is useless. Whereas actually, I think it's it's made a difference to the game and it has made decisions are more consistently given the way they should be. When they're wrong, there's less justification for it being wrong because it's not oh well, it's real time and it's human error that's going to happen. It's human error when someone who's supposed to know the game better than fans is watching incidents and getting it wrong. This is what I think. I think we've ruined it's our fault like we've ruined you
1: <laughs> It's us the the fans, the pundits i'm not i'm putting I'm not putting this in the pundit category. But like it's it's the people who watch and enjoy football for a long time, including myself, saying, Well, obviously we need some kind of video refereeing. I've I've always supported that until it happened. I always thought that we should have that. And I I think it has improved decisions. I think like there are more correct decisions than there were before. But now it's just the trade-off is So not worth it it's made it worse and every step of the way because now people say oh i mean i agree basically we're stuck with it anyway they're never getting rid of us so that's fucking awful and everyone says and of course yes we should try and improve and try and improve refereeing but it's the more scrutiny the more you do to tinker with it the worse it's going to get not necessarily let me just finish. Like the what we did with VAR, we introduced VAR because we were talking about people were complaining about outrageous decisions all the time, and the idea of VAR was that you got rid of that. What have we talk about decisions more now than we ever have done? And I think as it as it goes along, ideally, yes, refereeing will improve. How it improves, I don't know because there's still human beings, and as someone pointed out today on something I was listening to the referees that we have in the premier league are the best referees that we have you get rid of them you get the championship referees it's like they need to be better trained who by who are these like magical referees that are going to show up and train them who's going to train them it's just it's just like standing over a child saying like be better like what like <laughs> <laughs> they like they're still humans and they're going to make mistakes and maybe year on year they will make less mistakes maybe but the more and more work that goes into it, the more outraged we will be. <laughs> because it's like, how are you not getting this right? But then like, humans are fallible, none more so than me. They will always make mistakes. And I would rather just if we just left it as it fucking was.
2: <laughs> I yeah, I agree with some of that. But I think we're still in the infancy of VAR. And I think a lot of the time in sport when rules change, there is a period of finding your feet and having to tinker with it until you get the right result. Like when the offside rule came in, there would have been an outcry about it, but you wouldn't just go, well, this isn't working, get rid of it. You have The game has to evolve and the officials have to evolve to make it work. And if it, I think we're in that period at the moment. I don't think we're talking about bad decisions any more than we were before VAR. I think it's pretty much a constant i think the problem is the bad decisions now are more egregious because you know they've not just seen it in a split second they've had a chance to review it It shows up the incompetence of the people involved more but i don't think that's a reason for chucking it out yeah i mean i think like there's there's an evolution to the
1: rules i'll never be persuaded otherwise because i just don't think it's worth it i mean even in even in cricket. I would, even though cricket, um, what do they call it? Hawkeye in cricket. Mm. Cricket has obviously, in, in that sport, it's much quicker and it has immeasurably improved decisions. I would still know if, I would still get rid of it in cricket because I want the umpire to stick his finger up and know that they're out. And I just wanted like I.
2: Well, no, I think it's massively improved cricket, though. Totally disagree. Oh, because but I think like, as well, cricket is a sport where like there's an argument for VAR evolving into a sort of similar thing to cricket, where it's like you don't review every decision. Like teams get two reviews a game or something like that. Maybe. That would. I think
1: it would just make it every little, every little tinker would make it worse like swear.
2: like well I've I, I understand your pessimism but I think I think when something's in its infancy and they're trying to figure it out and we know they're not going to get rid of it because it's, it's, I mean, it's the genie's out four, the bottle now
1: yeah. it's been three or four years now isn't it yeah but it's been a while I mean, hopefully, like, ho- there's clearly some arrogance or some stubbornness there, because it's obvious that Italy, for example, does it better. Yeah. Because decisions seem to happen a lot quicker. I mean, that's the other galling thing. I mean, this is such an, a laboured, like, a done debate. But the whole idea of, like, clear and obvious, is just when you're taking five minutes to the side and to like, looking for reasons to disallow gold and taking minutes yeah. and to do it. I mean, fucking
2: But say like your earlier point of our referees not being up to the standard is true. But if you apply that to any other organisation, like if there was a recognition that our army was useless, we wouldn't just get rid of the army. You would plough money into training better and having them work on it and adding resources.
1: I'm not saying get rid of referees.
2: You're saying get rid of the army.
1: I'm not saying get rid of the army. I'm saying get rid of, landmines (laughs) (laughs)
2: but I think when it's so obviously human error that's the problem not VAR then it seems mad to blame VAR for that rather than
1: I'm not not blaming this is the thing that's the way the confusion is I'm, I'm not blaming VAR for the mistake I'm agreeing with you that it's VAR that makes it all the more egregious I agree that if we got rid of VAR there would be more mistakes. Yeah. But I would rather have more mistakes than still have a lot of unbelievably galling mistakes and all of this time taken out of the game and all of these goals that I can't celebrate. And that, and that's a personal thing because you don't feel the same way when you celebrate goals. But like, um. I... I hate and it's not because because and it's there's a confusion I think when people debate about it it's not I'm not saying that VAR is causing bad decisions VAR is clearly improving decisions but it's there's still so many bad decisions and it's ruined the sport in my two yeah it. it's ruined the
2: sport for you I do get that yeah so let's problem is though with the that it takes up valuable time where we could have been talking about many of Miggie Almiron's blind runs into traffic so and that's, other that's highlights it. of the thrilling nil-nil. Uh, the, that's the sure real we'll tragedy. Talk, I'm sure we'll talk, I'm
1: sure Barra will come up again after the break, but let's talk a little bit more about the actual game itself. What were your impressions of the performance overall, Paul?
2: Is it, because it was so frustrating and because we were, just so lacking a final sort of it, penetration in the final third, I'll say it. It's not a dirty word. It's it's easy to be frustrated, but we looked by far the better team. We were on the front foot for most of it. Palace, whether they just didn't show up or we restricted them, it's sort of maybe somewhere in the middle. But I felt like our XG backs it up as well. Like we were nearly three. I think we were 2.9 something for XG, which is our highest of the season. And I, I just think it's, it's quite telling. If you look at our first choice 11, we had all of our back five. We were missing two of our midfield three and two of our front three from what our strongest 11 would be. So it's not surprising really that we were lacking that final pass or the final finish. When you look at no Wilson, no Shelby, and no Bruno, and no Maxi. Yeah. Um, should we talk
1: about Isak's one
2: on one with a keeper? Yeah, I, I got quite lulled by his performance against Liverpool. As soon as he was through one on one, you would just like, well, of course, this is going in. We've got one of the world's greatest strikers. <laughs> He's going to get 30 goals a season. There's no way this isn't going in. And then I think if you're going to miss chances like that, as long as you're the one creating them, which he was, and as long as you're trying to do a chip or something with a flourish, then I don't mind those being missed. I much prefer it to sort of any of Jacob Murphy's one-on-ones where you just know it's not going to happen. And you you just watch a man shit himself in slow motion it
1: was <laughs> it was it was a shame
2: because it was, a, it was
1: yeah. a little bit it's like when you're a little kid and you first realise that, that your dad isn't perfect your dad is <laughs> because until that moment he was perfect yeah you know, in the Liverpool game he put away his first chance so beautifully he put away a, a disallowed goal he'd he, he, he looked like everything we had hoped he might be in the Liverpool game. And then, of course, just like, you know, referees, he's going to make mistakes. It happens. But like, yes, he was, it was a loss of innocence. It was, yeah. I, I, like you, I just thought, well, here's a goal. Yeah. Isaac's just going to do what Isaac does. He's just (laughs) going to
2: put it (laughs) away. And we were basing that on such a small sample
1: size. (laughs) I know. But uh, that was the huge chance of the game. I thought for a nil nil, it was a very entertaining game. Yeah. Uh, There were a lot of, I think we uh, did create quite a lot and deserved to win
2: um yeah i think it's we looked more tired and more out of ideas as the game went on but then we've got a decimated squad like like i say five what no four first team players out and all of our most creative ones out and you could tell a lot of our players had played sort of four games in 10 days or whatever it was i think we it's a bit harsh with a lot of people sort of getting on Sean Longstaff's back. I kind of, I understand that, but he's just not going to create the chances that Bruno or even Shelby do. He's kind of playing out of position.
1: Was that in the, in the stands? Was he the... Um...
2: A little bit, yeah. It was, I didn't think he had a terrible game, but it was just as the game went on and Palace were... Sort of everyone behind the ball as soon as it came to our midfield it was just that thing of play it sideways six yards let someone else try and come up with a way of getting through there
1: maybe rightly so but I always feel like the um, by home fans the academy a play, a player gets the least benefit of the doubt like they're the one who get like it happened with not that we've had any great academy, academy players in the Premier League era, really? But Carol, like, Carol. But he left fairly early on.
2: Yeah, but yeah. Like,
1: Players like Paul Dummett's not a great example. Chola Amiobi. I just, I was feeling like they got more shit.
2: Sometimes it um, was interesting though I think when Elliot Anderson came on, he he's one of those players. I think. I give more leeway the other way. too. he did look very good when he came on. It was good seeing him in a front three as well. I think. Well, well, yeah, we've got a question
1: about him. I think we'll talk about him after the break. Um, ah. But he does have a lot of. At the moment, he's very much in the um, promise uh, phase of his career. So yes, he he's he hasn't done anything wrong yet. So no. Uh, he's all, Unlike Isaac, who's lot, dead to yeah. us. Yeah, he's dead to me and something else that is dead to me is part one of this podcast so um we'll have a break now and i'm sure that there's so much to talk about so i'm sure we'll talk a bit more about the palace game the liverpool game the future our hopes our dreams maybe what's going on in our love lives there's so much to say but we'll be back after this break
0: it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper
1: Welcome back to the Newcastle Natter. So, Paul, we haven't really discussed it. How was your, um, how was Paul's big day out? In... Paul's big day out. It was good. How, what time was your train? You had
2: to go off, get up from London. Uh, it was like half ten. Perfectly reasonable hour. Yeah, going to Newcastle quarter past one. Three pubs, game, two pubs, home. So, it was it a is that five pints or more pints? I think five pints,
1: about, about, and um, so you didn't go
2: into, you didn't go into any galleries or anything. It's just all no. It's a weird one. The sort, the football day out afternoon, like I quite like doing it on my own, but I also have that thing sometimes of like, it's more fun when you're with other people. But I'm not one of those people that wants to like get to know loads of strangers if I'm somewhere on my own. So I'm quite happy on my own. But also there's that thing of like, oh, everyone hears into the same thing as me, but I'm going to read my paper instead of talking to any of them.
1: Yeah, I had exactly the same frustration when I went on Fergus's big day out uh-huh. to watch uh, Liverpool at home towards the end of last season. And I also didn't get to see a goal. No. saw so, one I got to see a disallowed call as well <laughs> but uh,
2: that one wasn't quite so farcical uh, so ultimately the atmosphere before the game pretty amazing yeah because this is my first home game since the takeover and it is quite a noticeable difference just how early everyone's getting into the ground the flags do make quite a difference I'm a complete flag convert yeah understand but yeah no it it's a weird one it felt optimistic but I went into the game and came out of the game aware that we need to pick up a win since the first game of the season
1: yeah I had a a sort of epiphany or I don't know bringing down to earth this weekend where the, the feeling around the club is so positive and there have been some good performances It's not like I'm worried. I'm not, you know, like I might have been in previous seasons if we had this many points on the board. Mm. I think there'd be a lot of talk about a relegation battle. I don't think anyone thinks that's going to happen this season and I don't think we're naive to not think that that will happen this season. But we've played six games in the league and we've only won once on the first day of the season. Against Forest.
2: Against well, a fire. bit of a basket case.
1: We've drawn. Yeah. A, we've drawn us through a few. We've had a couple of nil nils. the The Man City was probably the the Man City three three was probably the best performance of the season so far. I would say mm. that's probably
2: where a lot of the positivity comes from, on top of everything else. But I think because so, it's quite a because it's such a small sample size, you can read into it every way. But I think the main thing to hold on to is the performances have been very good. They've been yeah. an improvement on this time last season. The XG has been good. We've we've managed to change over the course of one summer to a, a high-pressing team that likes to have more possession. We've not had more possession. I think we still had less than 50% total possession over all the games, but that's because we played Liverpool and Man City, so that's not a massive surprise. But I think you look at There's been underwhelming games, which I think injuries explain some of that and VAR explains some of that. But the performances against Liverpool and Man City compared to those same games last season, I think, tell the story of how far we've come. Yeah, I think we still have the familiar problem that we've always had of when we have the ball more than the opposition, how do we break them down? I thought we were very good at that against Forest, but still should have scored more. And it'll be interesting to see if that's still a problem when or if we have our first eleven lining up. Sure. Without
1: St. Maximum, that's he's a big miss in in terms of that, as is Bruno probably. Um, Isak does seem like a player who can create a little for himself. He's not completely
2: reliant on having chances created for him. One thing that that's a- sure- I was going to say, sorry, you have to assume with Isaac as well, the more, because he must be in like single figures for the number of training sessions he's had at the club, that he's going to develop more of an understanding of how we play and how his teammates play. So I'm not overly worried about that yet. One thing that occurred to me
1: in the last day or two, you know, just sort of some naivety on our part, maybe certainly mine, where I was thinking... I really think we've got a good chance of top six. Um, I think I was even saying top five, just, you know, just ridiculous because we won the first game of the season, hyperbole. But it's only just sort of, we have spent a lot of money in the last year because we were coming from such a low base and because we've got our new owners, but it's only just sort of because we just how much in the, last couple of years particularly just how much the premier league is hoarding all the world's best players yeah. so if you ta- if you take stuff to top of my head if you take bournemouth out of it every premier league club has like not world class but three or four, four like top quality players right yeah this is a club club is there a Club in the Premier League that doesn't have at least one player who who's worth fifty million
2: Probably not. You'd normally say like Brighton, but then they keep selling players for sort of sixty million. I think the middle of the Premier League it is that thing because of all the money. What used to be a sort of there'd be sort of four teams that could finish between eighth and twelfth that will be quite decent, but anything else who knows it feels like now. Second to 18th is up for grabs. Like, anyone could finish in any order out of there.
1: I mean, if you look at, like, Leicester, who are clearly in a relegation battle, and they have James Madison, Tillemans... Yeah. ..Harvey Barnes, they've got, like... Yes, I mean, they've got clearly got massive problems. But every side is, like, picking up, you know maybe Leicester or
2: an odd one but like every side of picking up so well, it's like West Ham getting Paqueta yeah you know, that's, that's right. a, a starting Brazilian international who's gone to David Moyes' West Ham who are sort of quite near the bottom of the table you sort of think signing that level of player now in France that would guarantee you sort of getting near the Champions League here it doesn't guarantee you won't get relegated yeah that's why we love the bloody league. Yeah, yeah.
1: So um, the Liverpool game, we didn't get the chance to talk about on the last pub because it hadn't happened. Uh, which is a good reason. Which is a great reason. Uh, you and me watched that one together in a pub in
2: London, didn't we? What's the name we of did. the pub? The Dolphin, which is the, the pub of the Newcastle London Supporters Club. Which it's, I've never um, been to before.
1: It's just near. It's it's just near King's Cross. Don't go to the Dolphin in Hackney. Um, it was, it was a a really nice experience. It was it? amazing.
2: <laughs> it was the closest I've ever had to the sort of stadium experience in a pub. It was probably what? outside of an, an England international. But I mean, there was what thirty. 40 tops, Newcastle yeah. fans,
1: but in quite a tight room, singing at the top of our voices. It was like being in the stands. It was great.
2: Yeah. I, kind of, I, don't want, I want to go there for every Newcastle game now, but I don't know if my marriage could take it. Did you enjoy
1: being there to watch a game more than being at St Um, uh,
2: No. Well, bits of it I did. It was It's a better atmosphere in the pub, weirdly, for a lot of it, because you're so much more condensed in a sort of enclosed room, not like a big open-air stadium.
1: Yeah, but it was very good. And
2: the performance against Liverpool was pretty good, right? Yeah, I feel like for most of the game we were the better team. I think we tied again towards the end. Isak put away a,
1: fantastic, a, a chance fantastically 38 minutes into his Newcastle career. It was very exciting. And, uh, you know, we won't go through the whole game, but it all ended in tears when Liverpool scored in the 98th minute, which does seem insane.
2: Yeah, it's another, it's not a conspiracy theory that some decisions are going against us because other decisions aren't which I think if it's a conspiracy theory, it's not a very good one because it's not being acted out very well. There is always a lot of chat on Twitter and elsewhere
1: about how the Premier League is corrupt or whatever. But then if you just just take a moment to look at the supporters of any other club on Twitter, and many of them think that there's an agenda against their club and the league is corrupt because they the league, for some reason, hates Chelsea or Everton or mm. West
2: Brom or like any football team. The league, the league has
1: always hated
2: Norwich. It was just a bad decision from a referee. Like the, if you look at, if you're going to punish a team for all the time wasted, give more than five minutes added on time. Don't then double it over. Like I don't think there were actually many stoppages in the added time, so I don't know how we got to apparently, seven and a half eight minutes apparently, in terms of how much the ball was in play, it was like
1: one of the top ten games of the season so it was, uh, but I, I think the only the closest thing you could say to it being corruption is only that their minds are corrupted by the fact that um I think when you're away. At one of the big teams, sometimes referees uh, are scared of Klopp getting in their face, or Yeah,
2: else. it used to be the same with Ferguson at Man U, but it's it's still a very odd decision. I think it was weird that goal going in. That's the most deflated I've felt in a football game for quite a few years. It sort of felt like the. The Chelsea winner in the FA Cup semi-final in, what was it, 2000? I think that was the last time I'd felt that sort of immediate like just sinking.
1: Yeah, because it felt like a deserved and well fought for point was in the bag. Mm-hmm. It was like, we thought for a while, wow, we could win this, wouldn't that be fantastic? And Firmino scores, okay, fair enough, that dream is over. But once there's like 96 minutes on the clock you're like well well well-earned point
2: yeah and then it's
1: taken away uh let's have a look at uh social media let's see what you guys have been saying on twitter there's obviously a lot of our chat uh gator chap said howard webb's appointment as pgmol there's an I don't think I've ever seen the acronym PGM (laughs) until 48 hours ago. What does it stand
2: for? Uh, No idea. It's the refereeing body. Something Match Officials League. Okay. It's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: (laughs) Howard Webb's appointment as Pugmol Chief will improve the standards of. Will improve the standards regarding the use of VAR, but having to wait another three months to take for him to take up the role is too long. Can the Premier League really wait that long before a real change is made? That's what Gate said. Chat says um, maybe it will improve things, but
2: I have no faith that we won't complain just as much. I think one thing we'll definitely see more of after this weekend just gone. Is re- on pitch referees overruling or not just going with the VAR recommendation
1: because now because now they have this this a sense of like, because you don't want to overrule the VAR because you feel like well that's the safe decision to make. But
2: well, I feel after, like they've been pushed in that direction a bit before the start of this season too. but also your your basically your boss has said
1: to you, I think you might have got this one wrong. So the safe decision is to say, is to, is to go with them. Like, well, if, if they've sent me over here, then I guess. But now, like, that trust may be gone as well. Yeah, and, and
2: sometimes all. the person in the VAR, whatever it is, wherever they make the decisions, is less experienced than the on-field referee. Right. So sometimes there's, there is...
1: There's been weird talk this weekend about that they should move the... Um, have the people doing the VAR to uh, to be in the stadium. I don't see how that improves things because then that all you're saying is then is like do you want them to be more swayed by the fans or something? Like, yeah. What,
2: like No, the problem like there's a lot of solutions that aren't answers to the problem being offered this weekend when the the only solution is make the people operating VAR better. But that's it's as simple as that. It's not necessarily an easy solution to that, but that is yeah. the only thing that's going got, to prove it.
1: I've got no idea how you do that. It's like people, that, like, as Dave was saying, Dave's not here to say, but like, you get totally what you're saying on WhatsApp and everything, like about they need better training. Better, but training by who? They're just going to be trained by other people that
2: we hate. Do you, know what well, you mean they could Well, no, I think you can. It's not like these mistakes happen and then they can't be used as things to learn from either. Sure, they can. That's how you teach referees about different rules as well. Sure. So like if referees can be trained to sort of go along with new rules, there's no reason why VAR can't. I think just because yeah. we can't understand exactly how the training would manifest doesn't mean it shouldn't happen. Sure. Uh shoots
1: says Uh, who's got Jimmy Nail as their avatar, says, a good idea that the EPL release an app where punters can vote on VAR outcomes similar to X Factor.
2: Why not be a lot better than we are now? Um, I think think it would be quite open to corruption and for that reason, I mean... Yes. uh, I do everyone just picked on Norwich for a whole season. Well,
1: I'll tell you, that makes me think of how... Goal of the month on match of the day is now done by fan vote. Yeah, I don't like that. It's it's just corruption. It's mm. just the big the big sides are going. To, I mean, and, and St Maximum did uh, win goal of the month.
2: Oh, because I, I saw him and Trippier were both up for it, weren't they?
1: Yeah. Well, St Maximin won goal of the month uh, handsomely. But if he'd have been a Bomber player, would he have won it? Who knows? Paul M says, Who do you see in attack for us when all fit? And do you reckon Elliot Anderson could find a regular starting spot before long? Keep up keep up the good work. I mean Dave did chat a bit about Elliot Anderson last
2: week. Uh what do you reckon, Paul? Do you reckon he's got what it takes? I like him a lot. I think it's nice seeing him playing further up the field instead. of I, I think playing him as one of our three central midfielders feels a bit dangerous. Like Too much can go wrong. I think in a front three, as St. Maximin's shown for a few years, you can get away with like, not necessarily lack of effort, but things can go wrong and it's not the end of the world. But like if you give the ball away or, something goes wrong further up the field it's not necessarily going to lead to a goal so I think in terms of protecting him it would make more sense up there he's got the confidence to take players on and he looked dangerous, he came on basically for Fraser and played as that left forward I think that's where he was playing on loan for Joey Barton last season as well and he looked looked quite dangerous, he had I think more touches than Isaac in the whole game
1: I thought, that, I, I, I thought that he did look very good when he came on against Palace. And he's um and that that playing on the left forward role, doesn't it? Invite comparisons with Phil Foden, which we shouldn't make.
2: But well, I I don't think they're I think as long as you acknowledge he is clearly below the level of Phil Foden, it's okay to make those comparisons because I think they're Legitimate in terms of position. Well, I wouldn't as I said in the,
1: the, right. the last podcast, Joey Barton has compared him to Maradona. Yeah, I think
2: let's get carried away. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him on the right instead of Almiron, who, despite his good preseason and having one goal, just I don't know, you sort of know what he's going to do. He's like, he's starting to become a bit like Andros Townsend without the regular. Goals, and you just know he's going to cut it onto his left foot, right? But not shoot. Well,
1: I'd like—I can see him. He's—he's featured in quite a lot of games already, and I can see him getting used a lot more as the season goes on. But like young players, it's just hard to tell, isn't it? A couple of years ago, we were very excited about Matty Longstaff, for example. For example,
2: yeah. I think the one good thing now is we have. A structure at the club and a manager geared towards bringing young players through and making the right decisions. Like how is how seems to essentially be treating him like a new signing, like he did with Bruno last year, and just slowly bedding him in. But I think yeah. he will start before too long. He's got a better he's got a better chance than uh, many. Phil
1: Huntsman says, taking into account their potential as well as their current ability. How would you rank Isak, Mitro, and Tony? Ooh. Yes, former Newcastle strikers, very much putting in performances this season. Uh, I um, I just don't have the know-how to rank them. <laughs> like, no, I think what's my head? Tony's bad. number one, number
2: one because he just got a hat-trick. Because he's English. It's yes, just it's harder silly. to be good if you're English. I think what's interesting is Mitrovic and Tony are a very good example of what we were just talking about, of the club not previously having the structure to build to bring younger players through. Like Tony especially, there was no real proper management of his pathway to the first team. Wasn't really I think he was sent out on loan but not it feels like our loan policy before was basically throw a dart in a map of the UK and send them to the nearest club yeah. instead of finding the club that's the right fit. it's. I don't think it... I know you can't talk against him because he's a saint, but it really reflects quite badly on Rafa Benitez that both of those were sent away by him for not being up to the job that Hosselu was deemed good enough for. Yeah. Uh
1: well they're all doing very well. In terms if you in terms of potential, I'll put Isak top just yeah. because he's young, he's played in, already played in four countries. He's obviously very highly rated globally. He's the like he's the one I can mo has the highest chance, I would say, of getting signed for Real Madrid one day. Yeah. Um so in terms of potential, him.
2: Uh, but they're all very good. Yeah, run. Tony and Mitrovic are both very good. Mitrovic, it feels like Fulham are built around him. So it's sort of a... Tony, I feel like you could drop into a lot of Premier League teams and he would be that good. So I'd go Isaac, Tony, Mitro.
1: I think Isak fits into our side the best. Yeah. Which is us, because he's the one that we have. Um, but yeah it's nice to be at the beginning of Isaac's career with us and there's so much
2: possibility it's just a shame he tried to pin (laughs) one on one (laughs) I was just thinking it's so unfair on him there's two goals he has Liverpool and then presses the Palace back line to make his own chance skins a few players tries something audacious that if it had worked we would be getting far too excited now. Yeah. But because it didn't, it's just, oh, that's a shame. Maybe if Chris you know, Wood if, might start next week. If you were at the stage where he did the final
1: shot in the chance at Palace. Yeah. Right. Uh,
2: what do you reckon your percentage chance would be of scoring? Three percent. And that's three percent. That's being generous to me. I give myself 50-50. Well, you'd I,
1: give my... <laughs> I give myself, I mean, I have not played a real game of football. It was like an actual proper game of football
2: since PE. But For that reason, you'd be hungrier and the I keeper can... wouldn't be able to read you. I'd be hungry. Uh,
1: and then a couple more questions about VAR. I think we covered it all. And ASBBCC says, looking back in 10 years' time, who would have had a greater impact? Isak, Botman, or Anderson?
2: Ooh. Botman just looks like he's been a Premier League centre-back for 10 years. Sort of forget how young he is. Is he 22, 23, 24? I think he's 22. And he just looks so comfortable in this league already. I think he'll score before long as well. He seems to that's another thing. The amount of corners we seem to be getting lately and doing nothing with like I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Afropo, nothing. But I feel like Botman is gonna be a very, very like top level defender. Not that Isaac or Anderson necessarily aren't. I feel like Isaac probably will be upper echelons as well. But Botman yeah. feels like our uh, Vincent company.
1: Okay. Maybe he's got a better chance of staying for a long time as well. Mm. But um, yeah, in 10 years' time, I like to think it will be Isak because I, I think he's the first big signing of the new era. And I think we'll, you know, I'd like to think we'll look back and remember a couple of like 20 goal seasons from him.
2: Like, yeah. What's really nice is looking at compared to this time last season, the the spine of our team is now uh, Pope, Botman, Bruno, Isaac. Like that's a proper top level, full of potential. Any one of them you could see with the. The way they're being talked about, if their career goes well, you could see those players ending up at like a Real Madrid or Barcelona in previous times. Sure, I can't remember the last time we had a promising spine like that. Although these days,
1: as I say, Premier I mean, League holding all the best players. I know. I
2: mean, they could end up at West Ham.
1: Yeah, it's getting that, that is the more like the way it's going. It's like, <laughs> yeah. like we're at, we're getting to the stage now where like Real Madrid are going to sign Sean Longstaff, and. <laughs> um, but yeah they're just what I remember uh, forgot to mention Pope made a couple of brilliant saves I thought yeah.
2: certain, uh, as did the Palace keeper but um, Nick Pope's fitted in seamlessly I think as well what doesn't get spoken about enough is the way we're able to play the way we do because of Nick Pope like having that high defensive line we can only do that because of him it's not like we've got quick centre backs i've got just, i've noticed he's
1: got an interesting sort of throw he throws he throws the ball rather than sort of you have got the you've got the the goalies who throw it sort of over arm like a Schmeichel-esque. you've got the goalies who throw it over uh, under arm but pope throws it accurately and quite a distance but more like a sort of discus because ah. it's sort of Sideways, and that's just a little observation
2: for you that you can look out for. He does seem to be able to throw a ball accurately past the halfway line. Not bad, he just gets us moving like, yeah, he gets us moving so much quicker and gets us playing higher up as a team. And I don't think much as I like Dubravka, I don't think we could play this way with him.
1: Uh, so our next game is. Away at West Ham, it's on Sunday. If it's not raining and the game hasn't finished, I will be at uh, the cricket at the Oval. So we'll not see that game, but if it's raining, I will. So that'd be good. Mm -hmm. Um, West Ham, they feel they're the other side that suffered had a particularly galling disallowed goal uh this weekend thanks to Ch- against Chelsea um they're sort of they're, they look like they're sort of starting to get their season together right
2: yeah, they've had a really underwhelming start to the season, but they their performances rather than results have started to turn around. It feels like we might be playing them at one of the worst times. And it is that thing like you were saying as well, there's no, they're a very strong mid-table team which feels like something is only happening more and more each season. You kind of think away a team with that level of players in it is going to be quite a tough ask.
1: Uh, Actually, Dave had some questions on Twitter. He said, do you miss me? Sort of. Sort of. Stats-wise, you know. Nice to have three, but, you know, just giving a an honest answer. Um, how many points can you see us getting from the next five games? And then he also asks, where would you strengthen in the winter window, which is such a standard normie question, Dave. I'm not going to dignify it with an answer.
2: It's disgusting.
1: Six people ask that every week. Um, how many points can you see us getting for the next five games? The next five games are West Ham away. Bournemouth at home, it's gotta fucking get three points from that, yeah. sure, please. Fulham away, Brentford at home, man you away.
2: I'd get ten points from them. Ten points. You'd hope so, wouldn't you? I mean I think you would expect
1: minimum of seven. But am I'm, I'm reminded now that like the, the cliche is true. There are no easy games in this league.
2: because Apart from Bournemouth. Apart from Bournemouth, who did just get a draw in. Um, they won. They came back from 2 0 down to beat Forest.
1: That's right. Like, Forest, the only side we beat in the season. But after that game, if you'd have asked us to predict our uh, results against Brighton away, Wolves away, and Palace at home, I'm sure we would have had at least one victory in there. But, um, yeah, I don't
2: know. We'll see. I think the West Ham game is going to depend on who's fit and back in the team. But I think we'll have had a full week on the training ground as well. Is Bruno meant to be back Yeah. Possibly. I think he's... Him and Maxi are both talked about as being... In contention. I don't think Wilson's ready to come back yet.
1: No, he he won't be ready to come back. And he's not the most missed, weirdly, now that we've got Isaac.
2: No, I'm looking forward to seeing Isaac out on the right with Wilson in the middle as well. Is that what you reckon will happen? I think so, yeah. I think our strongest front three will be Maxi, Wilson, and Isaac. Yeah, that would be nice to see.
1: So, um, I guess we'll see. I'm going to be I'm going to be negative and predict a two-one loss,
2: which is uh, frustrating. But you know, I think I'm going to go nil-nil. nil <laughs> Okay. So much positivity, but like we are going to have to start winning some games to make. Yeah, well, our defense is so good. We've only conceded one goal. That wasn't against Man City or Liverpool. So I think is that I think we'll just know more after each game. It's still, I think we're still scrabbling around to see if we are doing well or not, if yeah. we look decent or not.
1: But yeah. You and know, we can all agree that there've been some pretty good performances and some games that we sh- we've been cheated out of. Yeah. Yeah. If we'd have got Somebody reckon we should be top today, which I could see the point when they laid it all out. You had the the
2: you could say we should have got three points against Palace. Should have had a goal against Brighton that was disallowed for a high boot from Wilson as well, didn't we? What's that?
1: right?
2: we should have had a
1: free kick. I, I, we should have had a uh, a penalty against Wolves. And we should have got a point against Liverpool because
2: it was the 98th minute. Mm. So I think there's well, looking back at our games, Brighton are the only team who were better than us, I would say, in any of those games. I think Brighton were comfortably better than us on the day.
1: Right. Well that's not bad, is it? No. Okay, even out. It'll even out. Um, but yeah, it'd be nice to get a few wins before the World Cup. Okay. Um, Well, thank you very much, Paul Doolan. Thank you. So nice to see you. And uh, thank you to you, the Newcastle Nata listener. Goodbye.
2: If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at PlaybackMedia.co.uk.
0: Sports social podcast network.